0: And currently we're working our way verse by verse through the first book of the Bible, Genesis. Genesis chapter thirty-four is where we're at. We're gonna be in the middle of Genesis chapter thirty-four where is at least where we're gonna to start today. Some of the stuff that we looked at last week, well you guys tell me. What do you remember from last week? What have we seen so far? This is Dinah making mistakes, right? That's right. This is Dinah. She wants to go out, see what the women of the land are mm-hmm. like. She wants to go over into the city, see the city folks, see the, see the gals over there, how they dress, how they dance, how they behave, how they romance. Uh, maybe romance wasn't on her mind. We don't know. But somehow she catches the eye of Shechem, the uh, strapping lad who's from the rich family, the rich father, who was very influential in the town. And uh, he has his way with her and part of the culture back then is uh hey if you want somebody bad enough just rape them and then pretty much assured you're going to get married to him so he rapes her and then uh, he tells his dad hey i want this i want this one like i guess he gets whatever he wants but anyway <laughs> dad goes to speak with jacob to ask for dinah permission for his son to marry dinah and it sounds like he went too. It sounds like shechem went with hamor they go to jacob hamor is the first one to speak and he he sounds very diplomatic in the way that he presents it but he doesn't say anything about i'm sorry that what my son did so shechem and hamor they're talking to jacob we're in verse 13 is where we're going to be picking up the funny thing or the interesting thing about verse 13 is who is it that answers according to verse 13 who is it that answers hamor and shechem jacob's sons, jacob sons. It's as if Jacob is out of the scene for some reason. I don't know. Did he get upset? Did he go out into the field? You know, maybe that's a place where he feels comfortable. He's a shepherd. Maybe he went out into the field and was just like, oh, man, I don't know what to do about this. You know, it's not an unfair price for my daughter. Shechem says, hey, name it, and you can have it if I can just marry your daughter. But I got this other thing, you know, this dilemma with God wanting us to stay unencumbered with that people group. You know, he wants us to be his people, not them, not those people. Who knows? For some reason, he's out of the picture. It's the sons who give the answer. And in verse 13, it tells us what they said. Somebody mind reading verse 13. This is the beginning of what they say. But Dinah's brothers deceived Shechem and Hamor because of what Shechem had done to their sister. They knew. They knew. They had found out. We found out last week. They were out in the field. And either they found out and came in from the field or they came in from the field and found out. And they were pretty angry. You remember that they were fuming pretty much about what was going on. So here, they're the ones giving the answer. How is it that they're giving the answer as for what procedures they need to accomplish to be able to have Dinah as their wife? Well, if you'll remember, remember Laban? Laban bargained for his sister to get married off, which was Rebecca, all right, before this generation came along. It's not uncommon for the brothers to take a leading role in the discussions. And here, these are the brothers of Dinah, and Jacob seems to be out of the picture for some reason. When it says there that they spoke deceitfully, Jacob's name means he deceives, right? And these are his sons. Um, if the phrase, the acorn doesn't fall far from the tree, <laughs> was applicable, It seems to be working out right here. Because he had defiled Dinah. So the author is not mincing any words. When he says that they had defiled Dinah, this reminds us of some of the other language that he used in the stuff that we looked at last week. The author is clearly not in favor of the way that they treated Dinah. It was abominable, the way that they had treated Dinah, the rape of Dinah. But the author also makes clear how he feels about the brothers, And their behavior. When he says deceitfully, he's making a statement as well that the brothers of Dinah, the sons of Jacob, are not behaving above order or honorable. That they're being deceitful. Verse fourteen. Somebody my reading that one. And they said to them, "We cannot do this thing to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised, for that would be a reproach to us." Excellent. Thank you, Esther. Verse seventeen was where circumcision kind of came into the picture. And if you remember about circumcision, it was God and Abraham, and God said to Abraham. I'm giving circumcision as a sign, all right? It's an outward sign of an inward relationship. God is saying, you, me, relationship. Outward sign, circumcision, all right? The circumcision was the sign of an inward relationship. The sons of Jacob are saying, hey, if you guys become circumcised, if you have this sign performed on you, then we can merge together. Then we can give you our sister as the wife of Shechem. Do you suppose they meant it? No, they didn't mean it. We saw from the verse before they were acting deceitfully. They're taking this precious, this godly sign, and they're bastardizing it, if I can say that. They're taking it, and they're, they're smearing it. You know what I mean? This is something that's supposed to be special between God and his people. It's an outward sign of an inward commitment, of an inward relationship. A lot of times nowadays in some of the uh, traditions that you guys would be familiar with, this is not unlike baptism. Baptism, it doesn't make you a person of God, but it's an outward sign of an inward commitment or an outward sign of an inward relationship, hopefully, that you have with God. So here we have the sons of Jacob, the brothers of Dinah, saying, you guys need to get circumcised. They're adults, and the suggestion of them getting circumcised... Probably going to weed out the people that are not interested in paying the big price of getting circumcised as an adult. Uh, Verse 15, but on this condition, we will consent to you. If you will become as we are, If every male of you is circumcised, every male. So it's not just Shechem and Hamor, his dad. You would think it would be, oh, you know, just you, the one that raped Dinah. Or you and your dad. or No, it's every male. The deal is every male over there in that town, in that city, become circumcised, and then we're good to go, is kind of what the brothers are saying. That's the pitch that they're making. Verse 16, then we will give our daughters to you, and we will take your daughters to us, and we will dwell with you, and we will become one people. Does God want them to become one people? No. God wants them to be separate Living in the world, but being separate from the ways of the world. And that's a standard God's had back then. And that's a standard God has for us now. We're living in the world. All right. The world is a mission field, but we're not to become like the world. Okay. So the brothers are using this as a ruse to get them to be circumcised. Why? Why? Because they're, they'd be in a weakened condition. <laughs> they'd be in a weakened condition. We could talk about circumcision a little bit Basically, it's a surgical procedure that's on a very uh, sensitive area of a man's body. And uh, you're looking at two to three days of pain and fever. You're looking at two to three weeks until the swelling goes down. And you're looking at a month before you can engage in physical exertion. All right? So if you've got a person in this condition, they're not going to be able to fight. And the brothers are already planning this. They already are setting this up. They know exactly what they're doing. Well, almost hard for me to imagine that God doesn't condone this because it's such good revenge on <laughs> a people that rape their daughter. I, I don't know. I mean, right? I know it's... It's, it's silent, very effective. Right. Yeah. It's very strategic and tactical. And we will be talking about revenge a little bit as we move forward in, in this study. We do have, though, that God teaches us that vengeance is not our place. Right. It's his. So... Looking at verse 17, but if you will not heed us, if this doesn't sound good to you guys, all right, if you will not heed us and be circumcised, then we will take our daughter and be gone. All right, It's not their daughter, it's Dinah, but okay. Uh, we will take our daughter and be gone. So he's basically giving them an out. Simeon and, and Levi are saying, hey, if this doesn't sound good to you, we'll take our daughter because she's over at your house. You didn't bring her with you. She should have been home already. Uh, the word that they use there for take is the same word that was used to describe what Shechem had done to Dinah. He took her forcefully, all right? And they're saying, it doesn't sound good to you. We will take her, all right? We'll do the same thing by taking her. And their words pleased Hamor and Shechem, Hamor's son, all right? Uh, Why would it please them? Here's why. Because Hamor is looking for the business opportunities and Shechem's looking for the wife. He wants, Shechem wants Dinah. And Hamor wants the property, the livestock, the giving and exchanging of sons and daughters. All right, so he sees it as a business opportunity. And we'll find out more about that in a few verses. Verse 19, so the young man did not delay to do the thing. Who's the young man? Shechem. He did not delay to do the thing. Sounds like he's pretty enthusiastic. He goes through with the circumcision. Because he delighted in Jacob's daughter, he was more honorable than all the household of his father. Did the author need to put that didn't need to the author is making a statement that this shechem guy is more honorable than the lot of the others that he comes from okay but you got to understand this is using a human standard not god's standard all right in god's eyes this behavior that he engaged in was not honorable and how about in dinah's brother's eyes no everything he's done has been contrary to honor in this story verse 20 and hamor and shechem his son came to the gate of their city And spoke with the men of their city. Uh, The gate is the place that you would have your negotiations, your uh, business deals or your legal transactions would take place at the gate of the city. And the men of the city that would hang out at the gate are usually your influential people in the city. They're usually your your businessmen or your politicians, if you will. All right, so he's basically gone to a place where these people congregate and meet. And uh, it's a good place for public meetings. So he's gone to the men of the gate. All right, verse 21, these men are at peace with us, he reports. So this is Shechem's dad. He's coming to give a presentation, and uh, he appeals to the people of the city, the influential people of the city. He okay. says, "These men are at peace with us." He's going to sell the idea oh. circumstantially. <laughs> circum- That's right. That's what and he's got to do. Sell. I- So he starts off with, these people are at peace with us. Apparently, he doesn't need to even introduce the people group he's talking about. Mm. Apparently, in the city, I'm going to guess that when this huge band of shepherds and their flocks and all their attendants and everything shows up on the fields right outside, there might be some stirring in the city. Are they here peacefully or not? So he starts off by telling him, these people are at peace with us. We went and had a talk with them. So I'm bringing you some good news. And here's the opportunity. They're at peace with us. And what else does he say? He says, These men are at peace with us, therefore let them dwell in the land and trade in it, for indeed the land is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters to us as wives. So there's something to be gained here. You guys in the city, you know that there's slim pickings, right? You've got your sons and your daughters. Maybe you, they've looked at all the opportunities. There's not a whole lot going on. Hey, I can tell you that they've got some marriageable people over there. So let us take their daughters to us as wives and let us give them our daughters. Uh, by the way, when he says these men are at peace with us... He's utterly deceived, isn't he? Mm-hmm. We know that this isn't going to end in peace. By the way, I'm just curious, how many people are hearing this for the first time, this story? Anyone? No? All right, so everybody's familiar with how this is going to end. All right, so I'm not spoiling anything. I wanted to be careful if I was about to spoil something. All right, and then in verse 22, he pitches the hard part of the deal, right? Because every deal has something about it that's kind of hard. Here's the hard part, verse 22. Somebody mind reading that? Only on this condition will the men consent to us to live with us to become one people, that every male among us be circumcised as they are circumcised. Mm, Right there, that's the hard part, right? That's the hard part. If you're one of the men in the gate and you've lived your whole life not needing to be circumcised and somebody comes up with this idea, Mm -hmm. you're probably thinking, whoa, I don't know, what do I have to gain from this whole thing, you know? That sounds like it would be a hard sell. So you've got to follow it up with something tantalizing, right? So what is it? It's verse 23. Will not their livestock, their property, and every animal of theirs be ours? Only let us consent to them, and they will dwell with us. Right? So there's the hook, right? The pitch. The pitch is appealing to what? It's appealing to their greed and to their covetousness. All right? So the whole idea of them, the men in the gate, hearing this and saying to themselves, what's in it for me? He's addressed that. The what's in it for me is a financial gain. All right. It's the livestock. It's all their sheep. It's all their oxen. It's all their donkeys, all their property, every animal, everything they have will be ours is kind of the sales pitch that he's making there. And the sales pitch is kind of like, you know what? You're going to be in pain for two to three days, but think about it long term. You're going to have everything you see out there. Okay. There's going to be some swelling. There's going to be some discomfort, but you know what? It's all going to be over in a month. But long-term, you're going to have all that wealth. You're going to have all that property. You're going to have all their sheep oxen and donkeys. You're going to have it all. We're going to split it up among ourselves. That's what's going to happen is basically the pitch that he's making there. Which is no deception. That was never promised, right? That's right. It wasn't promised. So he's selling a pitch to them, and the brothers, meanwhile, are are coming up with their own plan to uh, take advantage of the situation. So two parties, both scheming to take advantage of the situation, right? By the way, there's no mention of Dinah. There's no mention by Hamor to the people in the gate. My son really loves her and they want to get married and they won't be able to do that unless we all agree to. He he leaves that part out. Verse 24, and all who went out of the gate of the city heeded Hamor and Shechem his son. Every male was circumcised. I marvel at this. How influential a man does this guy have to be to be able to get everybody to buy off on it? All who went out of the gate of the city, that phrase is described there as all who went out of the gate of the city. It's a word that means basically everybody of military age, everyone who would leave the city or exit the city by the gate to go out and defend the city. That's the phrase that's being used. Anybody who would bear arms to go and defend the city. So it's basically military age or above, teenagers-ish and above. All right. So those are all the people that have to get circumcised. All the males in that group, they decide to do it. They decide to go through with it. Verse 25, now it came to pass on the third day, all right, so it's the third day after the circumcisions. This is at the height of pain, all right? This is when the fever is still on you, all right? Now it came to pass on the third day when they were in pain that two of the sons of Jacob, which two sons? Simeon and Levi. If you remember the birth order, right, the firstborn was Reuben. Reuben was born to Leah, and then Leah had a second son and a third son and a fourth son. She had, Leah had, Reuben, and then Simeon, who's named here. So this is second-born, Reuben, Simeon, Levi. He's named here third-born. And then Judah, fourth-born. The first four sons born to Jacob were born to him by Leah, and they're Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah. This is the second-born and third-born, all right, just to get your bearings of who these people are. Leah's the mom of Dinah. So these share the same mom as Dinah. Now, there were also two other sons born later, to Leah who are also full brothers to Dinah and that's Issachar and Zebulun so we have six brothers that have the same mom as Dinah so I don't know why Issachar and Zebulun aren't mentioned here we don't have Rumid mentioned here and we also don't have Judah mentioned in this part it's just Simeon and Levi but they are full brothers to Dinah okay so you see where we're at and if you look at the big picture we've got 11 brothers to Dinah among all of them if you look at Rachel's sons and Leah's sons Zilpah's sons and Bilhah's sons you're going to end up with 11 brothers But two are in particular, Simeon and Levi here. Dinah's brothers each took his sword. Sword? What's their job? What's their vocation? They're shepherds. Why would shepherds need swords? What do shepherds need sword for? Protection. Self-protection. That's why they would have swords. Just a little soapbox for a second there. Shepherds, peaceful people. What do you need swords for? What do we need guns for? In our day and age, people would argue. What do you need a gun for? Mm You don't need a gun. Aren't you peaceful people? Oh, you got the police to take care of you. They didn't have the police to take care of you. I tell you what, as a police officer, I can tell you, there's not enough of us to go around. (laughs) All right? Sorry. A little soapbox there for for a second. So these peaceful shepherds out there, they have swords for self-protection, but in this case, they're using it for something different. Each took a sword and came boldly upon the city and killed all the males. Simeon and Levi, when everybody's in pain, they go into the city and they kill everybody. All the males who have been circumcised, they killed them, and then going down to verse twenty-six, and they killed Hamor and Shechem his son with the edge of the sword, and took Dinah from Shechem's house and went out. It's that verse right there that we first find out that Dinah is actually still over in their house. All right, so they use the sword in an offensive way, not a defensive way. This isn't self-protection; they're using this for revenge. They rescue Dinah from their house. Regarding revenge, you're probably familiar with the passage from the New Testament, where in Romans chapter 12, verses 17 through 21, Paul says this, Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. When these men do this atrocious response to what they've done to Dinah, is it in proportion to what they did? It's far out of proportion. Does the punishment fit the crime here? No, it doesn't. If you're ever looking for a situation where the punishment must be in proportion to the crime, this is out of proportion, grossly out of proportion. How does the author feel about this? He's basically painting them in the bad light that they would deserve to be painted in. Uh, How do they measure up to God's standards? God's standards would say, no, revenge is not appropriate for us. We're not to take revenge, even if our loved one is raped. That's hard. I am not sitting in a position where I can say this has happened in my family and that I would be able to make the right choice. You know what I mean? I mean, if somebody raped my Dinah, right, I would be very tempted as a protective father to look for ways to get revenge. I'm so thankful to God that I'm not put in that position. But God's standard, I can tell you what that is. That he says, vengeance is mine. He takes that out of my hands, If I take it back, I'm living with myself as God. I'm not living with him as my God. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. In case you're thinking, oh, this whole vengeance is mine thing. That's a New Testament thing only. The Old Testament was different. The rules were different back then. Leviticus says, you shall not take vengeance, nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Those are God's words. New Testament or Old, doesn't matter. Some would say, well, you know what? Did you notice the middle of that? You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people. So there's some groups I can not take vengeance on. It's just not in the, you know, God's people group that I can take vengeance on. Well, if you remember, there was a lawyer who came to Jesus and says, how can I get eternal life? And Jesus says, what does it say? He says, well, let's see. To love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, yeah, good job. You got the right answer. And the lawyer says, But who's my neighbor? Do you remember what Jesus did? He told a story. He told a story where he says there was a man, he was going from here to there, and he ended up falling among robbers. And then this guy came along, you're thinking he's going to turn out to be a good guy in the story. He's not. And this guy came along, you'd think he'd help the guy that was beaten and robbed and left on the road. He didn't help the guy that was left there. Who was it that ended up helping him? It was his enemy. His enemy was the one who gets the credit. At the end of the story, Jesus says, you tell me, who was the neighbor? And the lawyer says, I guess the guy that helped him, his enemy. And Jesus says, yeah, you go do and likewise. Whoa! so when we want to get out of it by saying, well, you know, it says here I can take vengeance on other people because it's not the inner group. No, Jesus says, no, it's not about an inner group, outer group thing. It's about vengeance is mine alone. All right. You're to love your neighbor as yourself and your neighbor as a broad category, even including your enemies. Proverbs, do not say I'll pay you back for this wrong. Wait for the Lord and he will avenge you. That's Proverbs chapter 20, verse 22. Proverbs 24, 29 says, Do not say, I'll do to them as they have done to me. I'll pay them back for what they did. How about 1 Thessalonians 5, 15. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone. Verse 27 of the passages that we're looking at, The sons of Jacob came upon the slain and plundered the city because their sister had been defiled. This is no longer Simeon and hmm. Levi anymore. It sounds like the group has grown. It sounds like Simeon and Levi went through and killed everybody sounds like Simeon and Levi saw an opportunity and said, hey, you know what? I found a really nice robe in here. Hey, I found a bar of gold over here. I got a bag of silver. And probably bringing some of that stuff back, the other brothers are like, hey, opportunity. And it sounds like they're hauling away all kinds of stuff from the city. Verse 28, they took their sheep, their oxen, their donkeys, what was in the city and what was in the field. Verse 29, and all their wealth, all their little ones, all their wives, they took captive and they plundered even all that was in the house. Here's a question I have for you. When Hamor was trying to sell the idea to the man of the city at the gate, what did he say at the very end to hook them, to get them to go for it? We'll get, and their stuff will be ours. we'll get all their stuff. We'll get all their animals. What did they take here? Verse 28, when the tables are turned, all their flocks, all their herds, all their stuff. The thing that was being plotted by Hamor and Shechem is actually turned around on them. And the very thing that they were scheming and trying to get the whole city to buy in on is actually the exact thing that ends up happening to them. It's kind of this weird story, isn't it? This just turns out so weird. Verse 30, then Jacob said, oh, Jacob, Jacob's back. He, he was out in the field. And now he's come back. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you have troubled me by making me obnoxious among the inhabitants of the land. My says obnoxious. Anybody has have some other word right there? stink. (laughs) That's exactly right. The word translated in the English, you've made me this wretched smelling thing. You've made me stink. We've had an adventure in our house in the last week in our garage. I went out to the garage two nights ago, I think it was. Went out to the garage and I went, oh, something stinks. (laughs) Something is really wrong out here. Smells like something died in my garage. We have a cat door in our garage and the cat can come in through that door. Well, Something apparently came in, and I could tell by the smell. And I'm guessing couldn't get back out. My uh, family, that was two or three days ago, um, they started noticing it yesterday. And we ended up finding out that a possum had apparently come in through the cat door. Mm -hmm. And possums by themselves just stink. Mm -hmm. All right? They can do that. They can do this play dead thing where they stink. But apparently the mom possum had her babies in our garage and the mom possum something happened to the mom and the babies apparently ended up dying one by one in our garage and the stink we ended up finding the eighth one this morning oh my goodness. dead possums two two survived out of the batch of eight we found two alive all the rest in there that's something that really stinks all right so i I got stink on the mind right now when i read this verse that's what i think of all right but jacob is saying you've made me like that in the eyes of the rest of the people that are in this land you've made me stink have you ever had your witness blown where you know maybe the people that you were trying to be salt and light to all of a sudden you stink one act by these two sons, by somebody associated with him, and the whole whole deal stinks now. You want to be the people of God, and somebody you associate with, or yourself, you make a decision, and all of a sudden, you stink in the nostrils of everybody around. That's his concern right now, right? Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you have trouble being by making me obnoxious among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites. And since I am few in number, they will gather themselves together against me and kill me. I shall be destroyed, my household and I. And he's including them in there too because they're part of his household. His concern is that the rest of the neighbors in the land will gather up and say, you know what? We don't like the way you behave and we're going to snuff you out. That's his concern that they're going to do that. He has open rebuke for them. And like good sons, they say, you're right, Dad. Uh, We should have never done that. That was horrible of us. We've sinned in your eyes and in the eyes of God. Is that what they say in verse 31? No. No, they don't repent. Verse 31, they're very curt in their response. They protest to him. They say, should he treat our sister like a harlot? And the chapter ends. Nobody's praying to God in this chapter. Nobody's looking for God's direction. Nobody's calling for God's help. Calling for God's deliverance, calling for God to intervene. God is absent in the chapter. This is what we end up looking like when we try to do it ourselves, when we try to take matters into our own hands. With the the fill-in-the-blank sheets that you've got there, we can really quickly fill in those blanks, and then I'll get you guys on your way. Number one, the punishment should fit the crime. The punishment should fit the crime, and then you have in parentheses no cruel or unusual punishment, all right? The idea of lex talionis we've talked about it before, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And that was set in place to limit a response, to limit an exacting against somebody else. So it wasn't that if somebody broke your tooth out, you're like, oh, good, I get to break your tooth out. No, it was actually to limit you from doing something worse. And then you remember, how did Jesus respond to that? You see some people, they they say, oh, I don't live by the Old Testament rules. Those don't apply to me. I live by the Sermon on the Mount. Oh, really? You live by the Sermon on the Mount. Let's talk about this one in particular on the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus takes Lex Talionis, and he says, "Oh, you've heard it said that an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth." He says, "But what do I tell you? Turn the other cheek." It's a more severe standard. It's a more difficult standard. He's not saying you're limited to go only this far. He's saying take it away completely. So it's a higher standard. People don't understand that sometimes. Number two, revenge is God's responsibility, not ours. It's not our place to take revenge. All those hours laying in bed at night wondering how am I going to make this happen. That's not our place. We're not to scheme and devise ways to get revenge. Number three, left unchecked, being offended leads to anger, which leads to bitterness, which leads to vengeance. Matthew Henry says, "'Alas, how one sin leads on to another, and like flames of fire spreads desolation in every direction.'" Foolish pleasures, that was Dinah going to the town, lead to seduction. Seduction produces wrath. Wrath thirsts for revenge. The thirst for revenge has recourse to treachery. Treachery issues in murder, and murder is followed by other lawless actions. We saw all those in this chapter. Number four, it's not a sin to be angry, but don't allow your anger to lead you into sin. The Bible actually says, be angry and do not sin. It also says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Take care of those anger things early. Take care of it today if you can. And if you can't reconcile with somebody with whom you're angry or they're angry with you, then give it over to God. Don't hold on to those things. Don't let it create bitterness in you, which leads to worse. And then finally, don't confuse religious ritual with relationship with God. They propose circumcision. Hey, you guys get circumcised and we'll all be the people of God. We'll all be one. Uh, No. There's all kinds of ritual we can engage in that some people would try to sell you, hey, this is how you can become a person of God. You participate in the building program, or you go on your two-year mission, or maybe you get confirmation in a certain church. Those things are ritual. They're not substitutes for a relationship with God. And let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you and love you. We ask that you would help us, Lord. Help us showing us areas that you want to work on us. Lord, the blind spots, we pray that you would reveal to us uh, as you're able to work on them. Not all at once, because we would be overwhelmed. We pray that you would help us, Lord, not to go away from the study feeling pride, like, "Oh, I'm not as bad as those guys are," but to recognize all have sinned, and each of us has areas, Lord, that we need to work on with you. We pray that you would help us, God, to bring you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm-hmm. All right, you guys ever want to?